Fear is one of the greatest weapons Satan uses against the promises of God. Matter of fact, when you look in the Bible and consider the variations of wording, such as fear not, don't be afraid, or have no fear, you'll find these listed hundreds of times. Okay, I haven't personally counted every one of these in the Bible, but others have. And they say these fear nots are listed over 365 times. Think about that. One for every day of the year. How awesome is it that God wants you to know each and every day that you have nothing to be afraid of? Nothing. Not COVID-19, not unemployment, not cancer, not divorce, not addiction, nothing. We're going to look at a prophet in the Old Testament named Daniel and why a message delivered to him from an angel was not just for him, but it was for you and me. There isn't a person on the planet, if they were honest, that hasn't experienced fear at one time or another. I remember as a kid being afraid of the dark and what was lurking in my closet and under my bed. Later in life, I saw the kids' movie, Monsters Incorporated, and it confirmed my suspicion all along that something was after me in the dark. Okay, not really. But still, fear is a very real emotion, and it's rooted in not feeling or believing that we can control the outcome of a specific situation. It feels out of control and scary. Hearing the words cancer, or you're fired or laid off, or maybe your spouse tells you, I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. Whatever it may be, we constantly live our lives one event away from something we can't control that will test our resilience and our faith. As I said earlier in this podcast, fear is a weapon Satan uses against the promises of God. And if he can get our eyes off God's promises, we'll focus on our circumstances, on our abilities, and what we can do to solve the problem. But what if the problem is bigger than us? What do you do then? There was a company in the early 2000s that uh, pushed mind over matter when it came to fear. It was called the No Fear Company. It had t-shirts and other clothing and eventually added an energy drink to pump you up to take on anything life could throw at you. While the brand focused on a lot of extreme sports, its common themes included fear of death, lack of laziness, contempt for social norms, and the law. But this branding of no fear was 100% built on what you can do. God was never part of the equation because you just had to psych yourself up to do it regardless of the consequences. While this fight club type mentality worked for a while, the brand fizzled. It eventually filed for bankruptcy. Now, when we rely solely on ourselves and our abilities to get through the challenges of life, like the no fear brand, we end up bankrupt. We are not enough on our own. We were never meant to journey and fight alone. I've experienced fear multiple times. And one of these times had to do with a pole behind camper and driving in the mountains. My wife Amanda and I purchased this camper so we could build memories with our kids in the great outdoors. Our very first camping trip was high in the mountains and it required us to drive over mountain passes that would be scary even if you weren't pulling anything. The camper was 36 feet long, so this is no small task. But being the strong man of the house, I felt up to the challenge and I convinced Amanda and myself that I could do it. Getting to our destination went smoothly and built my confidence that I could handle anything. It was on the trip down the mountain that the true test began. 
Because of how steep the grade is, semis and trucks pulling trailers, like ours, have to do what they call engine braking to slow down, or you'll burn out your brakes. No one ever wants to use the emergency runaway ramp you see on the side of the road coming down a mountain. Multiple times I've seen semis in that. They went out of control, they hit that ramp, and then they flip over on their side. I've often wondered what that experience might be like. Uh, I don't want to experience that. So as we're coming down I-70 into Denver, it's a 6% grade. I shift to a lower gear, just like I did on the way up, because my speed is increasing so much. And when I did that, nothing happened. I kept going faster, thinking that maybe it was just a problem with that gear. And still being a rookie with these types of things, I tried another gear. Nothing. So I begin tapping my brakes to slow us down, but I find we're picking up speed really, really quickly. Amanda looks over at me as I'm flipping through all of the gears and and messing with gauges on the truck. And she says, honey, is everything okay? I respond, no, it's not okay. So my parents are following us and they notice that the brakes on the truck and camper are smoking and they call to see if something's wrong. Yeah. Something is seriously wrong. Our transmission is completely gone and we have nothing to help slow us down other than our brakes. And that's not enough. Amanda hangs up with them and says to me, I'm scared. I look at her and I say, honey, pray now. Our kids are having a great time in the back of the truck. They're totally ignorant to how serious a situation is. Our speed is picking up so quickly and the road noise is getting so much louder that the kids can't hear the movie. And so they start complaining. Dad, 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 I can't hear the DVD. Turn it up. Um, At this point, I'm totally freaking out. I tell everyone, shut up. We might die. We're out of control. Smoking brakes. There's no emergency ramp to use. We pray and we give the brakes everything we've got at the next exit before we drop down another massive hill. This would have been a perfect time to have the song Jesus Take the Wheel playing in the background. We end up taking this ramp. Everything's locking up and it's a miracle. There are no vehicles ahead of us stopped. We go through the exit out into the other lane of traffic and then we coast to a stop. We are shaking in fear so much of what just happened. And we just, we sit there. My parents come up behind us and they rush up to the car and we just pray. We thank God for protecting us. I'm pretty sure we had some angels help slow down our vehicle because this could have ended much, much worse. Now, I'm not sure what I could have done to prevent this from happening. It's just another example of life throwing you a curveball when you don't expect it. You're not ready for this kind of stuff. It's like COVID-19 and massive job losses as a result of it. I'm watching that right now. All the uncertainty, all the fear, and people that are hearing these words, you're laid off. I've been there. Early in my career, I joined a company not knowing shortly thereafter the market was going to crash and companies would be on a wild ride for survival. I lost count on the number of layoffs I went through, but I believe it was well over a dozen. Each time there was a round, I had to wait by the phone, listen to my manager, read a script, and tell me whether I was selected for departure or I'm still staying. 
I watched family and friends that I worked with at this company get hit in multiple rounds. And I'll never forget, I was on vacation at my in-law's cabin in the mountains when I get a call from my manager who lived in another state. He had set up this call as an urgent meeting to tell me my status on yet another round of layoffs. He didn't read the script when he started. And instead, he said, Daniel, I am so sorry to call you with this news. Hearing that, my heart just sank. He continued to talk about how it it had nothing to do with my performance. I was a top performer. It only had to do with my location. I was based out of a location and site my company classified as non-essential. In this time with COVID-19, we hear that word a lot. Non-essential or essential? Well, I was deemed non-essential. Laid off. I was given two months notice to find a new job in the company, which at the time would only work if I moved to India because we were heavily offshoring roles. I sat there soaking this in and the fear and panic overwhelmed me. I'm married, young children, one income. The weight of responsibility was crushing me. Fear dominated those moments. How would we make our house payment? Food, diapers, and in an economy that is severely depressed. Does this sound familiar right now? I just sat in the room quietly after I hung up with my manager and I was numb. Eventually, I walked out to where my wife and her parents were sitting enjoying our vacation and then I shared the news. Talk about a vacation bummer. A couple days later, I started to get sick. With a fever and no appetite, my energy level plummeted. We just chalked it up as a typical virus and expected it to end in 24 to 48 hours. My father-in-law was a very successful family physician, and he was our family physician. Why would you go anywhere else when you're going to receive the very best care from those who love you the most? Now, when things didn't get back to normal after a week, I went in to see him. What was really strange with this virus is that each afternoon, I would spike a fever of about 101 degrees. Never in the morning, just in the afternoon. My doc did the typical round of labs, but nothing significant showed up. Another week went by, and I started to lose weight rapidly. I remember taking the doctor's orders to the local hospital because they wanted to do extensive testing, and that lab could handle the volume. So I sat there while they took vials and vials of blood as they tested for every disease known to man. My lab results were off, and they're trending in a bad direction, but nothing showed up with a specific disease. No one could figure out what was going on, why I had no energy, no appetite, and this weird fever every afternoon. I was an anomaly. My father-in-law was on a mission to figure it out. This went on for six weeks, and I ended up losing almost 50 pounds of weight. I had been going in for blood tests almost weekly, but nothing definitive ever came from it. There was no diagnosis for my condition. I walked in to meet with my father-in-law for another checkup and to hear the results of the last blood test. He looked at me with a very, very serious look. And he said, your blood test results show that you are either an Olympic athlete or a concentration camp victim and dying. We need to talk about Amanda and the kids and what might happen. I 
felt like I was dying. I started to believe that I was dying. My wife had been taking on the full responsibility of her home. Kids, everything. I mean, she's taking care of me. She's taking care of Bill. She's taking care of it all. And she was clearly burned out from that responsibility. When she heard this final report, she got angry, really angry. And she looked into my eyes and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and fast until God heals your body or kills me. I looked across at her and I saw strength and faith that I didn't have. I had never seen this in my wife before. That alone almost scared me because she was relentless. I believed her and I had given up. I was not only laid off from work, but I believed I was laid off from life. I was accepting my current condition as hopeless and almost deserving because I lost my job. Now, if you would have asked me at the time to repeat a promise from God's word, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Not honestly and not with conviction. I was angry. I was depressed and I was extremely fearful. At that moment, Amanda went on the offense praying God's promises over my life all day long. Despite what she saw looking at me, she believed I was treasured by God and he would fully restore my body. It didn't come the first day. It didn't show up the second day. But the third day that my wife did this, prayed and fasted, it was the third day something changed. Now, as I said before, every afternoon I spiked a fever. And I did. But on the afternoon of the third day, I fully expected a fever that never showed up. It was the first time in almost two months I had no fever. The morning of the fourth day, I woke up hungry. Hunger pains. What are those? It was something I'd totally forgotten about. I forced myself to eat something each day just to put something in my body to keep me going. But it was work. It was hard. And I didn't want to eat. This day was different. I was hungry and I didn't want a snack. I wanted a feast. Every day, my condition and my appetite improved and I never, never had a fever again related to that illness. After a week of this, I went back to the hospital lab for another round of tests. The results came back and they showed all of my counts rising. I was healed completely. What I didn't expect was what happened after all of this. I got an instant message one night from an executive at the company, and it was a Friday night. And all he said is, we're keeping you in our future. Enjoy your weekend. And then he logged off. Just like that, everything flipped upside down. I'm retained. I'm not terminated. It didn't make any sense, but Amanda was sitting there with me when this happened. We just looked at each other and we celebrated and we thanked God for providing for us and for teaching me an extremely important lesson. Everything I went through, all the fear, all the doubt, literally getting myself sick wasn't necessary. It was a response. And it was a response to what I was seeing, not to what I was believing and should believe. 
The message at the beginning about me getting laid off and the message later that I wouldn't be was no shock to God. It's not like he woke up one day and was like, oh, I can't believe it. He's laid off. What are we going to do about it? Or, hey, I, I can't believe it. I just figured out a way for him to keep his job. No, no, no. That, that's not how it works. God sees the beginning and he sees the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He had it all under control. Even when I was out of control. Earlier this year, I met a psychiatrist. And I just told him this story. Um, I, I wanted to pick his brain a little bit, put him on the couch this time. Specifically, I asked him about the timing of this mysterious illness with the news that I was laid off and if there was any connection. He quickly responded with, uh, absolutely. I've seen this before multiple times in my 40 years as a physician. When patients have no hope and they're filled with fear, they give up. And when they give up, the mind tells the body it's over and it starts to shut down. Some live their entire lives sick while others end up committing suicide or dying because of organ failure. His theory was that my identity was so wrapped up in my career and being able to provide for my family that when it appeared to be gone, I became so afraid and depressed that my body started to shut down. I brought it on myself. Now, I hate to admit that I want to be viewed as a great man of faith to my family, to my friends, a leader that can face anything, any mountain. I'll take that mountain. No, I failed and I failed to rest in the promises of God. And it took my wife, thank God for my wife, to step in on my behalf to grasp God's promises and speak those over my life. It took her. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 in the Bible says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Sometimes we have to pull up the people around us with God's promises, with God's truth. We have to dig in deep with love, with patience, with prayer and fasting and serve just as Christ serves us. In Daniel 10, 19, an angel appears and says to Daniel, Fear not, you are greatly treasured. All will be well with you. Be strong. Now, what if I would have read these words and accepted them as a promise directed at me personally during this difficult time? Let's break this down a bit. Fear not. Don't let your emotions own you. You are greatly treasured. That's your identity. All will be well with you. That's your future. Be strong. That's a command. Angels only ever repeat what they have been instructed to say. That's why they're called messengers. And any message an angel provides is directly given them by God. Imagine receiving a message directly from God that says, Hey, fear not. You are greatly treasured. What is there to ever fear if the creator of the universe says... You're a treasure, and he is guaranteeing you that everything will be okay. Just be strong. 
What if we believe that? I discussed this exact scripture over and over again with a really close friend of mine, and he decided to take a sticky note, and he wrote it out, and he circled the R in that. You are greatly treasured. He circled that R. Now, this man drove almost an hour and a half one way each day to work, and this was sitting on his dash as a promise from God for him to read and remember. Do you do that? Do you take God's promises and write them down and put them on your dash or on your bathroom mirror across the walls of your home until they're written on your heart? That's where we have to start. Not with what our circumstances say, not with what the data tells us, not with what the medical report says. No, but with what God says. I asked him many months later if he still had that sticky note with this promise on his dash. I wish I could show it to you. He shot me back a picture of that sticky note. Everything on it, all of the words faded. It was just a blank white piece of paper. And I told him, Hey man, I'm really glad you took a picture. Because we often hear God's truth and believe it when we can see it happening or can touch it and confirm it's real. But true power is faith to believe it when the sticky note and the words have faded and the testing comes. Do you have those words written on your heart? Can you walk with confidence based on what you know is true because God said it versus rely on what your circumstances say to you? If you're not living with those words as part of your identity, you need a Sharpie to write it out again. But if you are, You just need a trash can. Now, my friend doesn't need a Sharpie any longer. He needs the trash can because those promises are written on his heart. They're not stuck and left on a sticky note in the car. Fear not. You are greatly treasured. All will be well with you. Be strong. Accept this today as God's promise to you. Write it on a note to remind yourself, but let it be written on your heart. You look at it, you repeat it, you speak it over and over again until it's burned into your soul so that you never forget that God's love for you surpasses all the fear and all the difficulty that this life brings because you are his greatest treasure. I challenge you. I want you to mine through the Bible and I want you to grab promises that God has spoken. Because he's put those there, not just for you to read, but for you to live. He's put those there so that you will take them and become battle ready to face every lie that the enemy wants to whisper in your ears. Use it. Don't just read it. Don't just don't just take the verse of the day when it pops up on your phone and and look at it and go, that's a good verse of the day. No, no, no. I want you to dig into it. Dig in deep. Begin to speak it out. Begin to memorize it. If you need a sticky note, get a sticky note. Put them all over the place because eventually as you look at those notes and you repeat those words, His word is power. His word is life. His word will fight for you. And you will realize that you are his greatest treasure. I'd love to hear from you if this podcast encouraged you today or if you need prayer for anything at all. 
You can reach out through email at fearlesspodcast at outlook.com or post a review of the podcast. I want to hear from you. We may not know each other, but I am praying and believing for God to show up in a powerful way in your life as you take steps to get to know who he is and to trust the promises he has for you so that you can live life fearlessly.